Well, good morning. How are we all doing this morning? Wow, that is literally the best response. I knew this was the best service. Hey, I'm so glad that you are here. If it is your first time here, welcome. My name is Tommy. Um, like Sarah Best said, if it's your first time, man, we count an honor and a privilege that you would come hang out with us and check out this warehouse of a church. Um, we love what we do here. We love Jesus, and that's what we're all about. Um, I get the privilege of overseeing what happens in this room from what goes on the stage to what happens back in the tech booth to even out in the cafe on the weekend. And I love what I do. It is a blast. If you're interested in knowing more about that or have questions or you want to have an awkward conversation, feel free to come talk to me in the cafe afterwards. I'm really good at talking about all that stuff. So yeah, I would love to just interact with you. It is a blast. Um, Today I get the privilege of, of coming up here and speaking, and every time I do, I like to show off um, a little bit, some people that are important to me, I like to call them my girls. So these, these are my girls. Uh, this is my wife, Sarah. We've been married about eight years. She is awesome, and these are our um, two little crazies. This is Hazel, she's four, and Layla, she's two. It's more like 13 and 15 with the way they act and interact. It's, it's kind of nuts. We just set up bunk beds for them, so Lord help us. This is going to be nuts. Um, but we are excited. But our life's about to change because come November, number three's on its way. So we're super excited. <laughs> Baby number three. And it's kind of even more crazy because things are, I'm going to be, if the OB is correct, a little less outnumbered. So I am very much excited. Um, it's gonna be awesome. We have a little man on our hands. Um, any fathers in the room who have raised boys, help me. I, I don't know what I'm doing, so if you're willing to come talk to me and give me any advice, all I know right now is how to raise girls. So if you can help me, I would love, come chat with me afterwards in the cafe. Um, it is a blast. Sarah and I, my wife and I were talking about this last night. These two have no idea what's coming. It's gonna change them and it's gonna be a blast. We are excited. So come November, number, our family's gonna get a little bit bigger. But yeah, um, so I'm excited. So we've been in the middle of this conversation, this series called Patterns That Change Us. And so we've been talking about for the last several weeks. And basically what we've been saying in this series is this, is that Jesus didn't come to simply give his life but also to show us how to live. Um, basically, we're saying Jesus didn't come simply to die, which he did come to do that, but he also came to show us a pattern of, some patterns of living, some ways to live, some things that if we put them into practice will change us into who he wants us to be. It, it will transform us completely. Uh, it, it, these different patterns will transform us into what he desires. So over the last several weeks, we've gone through 10 different patterns so far, and the 10 of them are this, solitude and community, fasting and feasting, secrecy and confession, simplicity and generosity, praying and acting. And what we've been saying is we've been going through these 10, and if any of these you miss them, or one of those sounds intriguing or interesting, I'd really go, you can check them out on our podcast, on our website. We spend a week going through every single one of these things. But what we've also been saying is for each of these, there's a reason why they're in pairs. There's a reason why we have an and sign, it's two of them together, because we think that these patterns are supposed to be together. They're like two sides of a coin, or they have like a symbiotic relationship. They should work together. So for example, for solitude and community, um, if we only did solitude without community, all you did was solitude, that was it. Um, honestly, what we think happens is you turn into a crazy cat lady. Like, you, you end up, that's all you're focused on. And then when you try to interact with people and you try to tell them about Jesus, it, it gets more difficult. We need each other. You need to spend time together to, to help each other out. But we also said if the only thing you do is community without solitude, you're not able to spend the one-on-one -on -one time with Jesus to really know who he is in a personal way. 
So we need both of them together, both sides of this coin, in order to really allow both of those patterns to transform us. So the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about two more patterns, two more patterns, and those two patterns are this, worshiping together and private meditation. Worshiping together, or another way to say it, corporate worship, and private meditation. And now, now these are all two sides of a coin. They're both sides of a coin. So the question comes up, what is the coin? What is the thing that ties these two together? And I think the thing that ties them together is this. It's the word. The, the, the word, word, word. Word is the bird. I got one person to laugh. If you don't know what that is, ask your mom later. She can tell you all about it. Um, no, it's a, I think the thing that centers these things is the word. It's the word. And maybe you've heard this before when, when you've talked to someone or heard someone talk about meditation. They're like, man, just empty yourself. Think about one thing. Let that thing just you know, kind of go about and change who you are. And I think while that, that can be a good thing, I think when we talk about these two, it's not just picking something out of thin air and saying, hey, focus on it. It's actually getting more specific. It's meditating privately or worshiping together, something more specific than just the word, and it's this. It's the word regarding Jesus. When we talk about private meditating and we talk about worshiping together, the coin that holds them together, honestly, the thing that both of them are about are the word regarding Jesus or the person and work of Jesus and reorienting ourselves back to what he says or allowing us to hear him and then responding to it. So the word regarding Jesus, honestly, that's like the Bible. <laughs> that's how we know who he is. That's how we know the things about him. And both of these things we think center on that word. So next week, we're gonna spend a lot of time talking about private meditation. So if you're interested in that, come back next week. We're gonna spend the whole time. What is it? How do we do it? Those types of things the next week. But this week, the pattern that we're gonna be talking about is worshiping together. Worshiping together. Now, I know when I say that, and some of us in this room, we hear the word worship, different images or pictures come to head. And I know that all of us in this room, we all have different backgrounds. Uh, when I say the word worship, you might see things, you might have a certain image or idea come to your head. Uh, maybe for some of us, it's this. We, we picture almost like a cathedral. We hear the word worship, and we think of a cathedral or some grandiose building that this one is not. <laughs> We think of something like that. Maybe you came from a Catholic or an Orthodox background, and so you think of worship, and what you think of is extreme order or everything in its place or a specific way to worship, and everything is the same week in, week out, and nothing will change that. And so for some of us, I think this is the image that comes to head when we hear the word worship. For others of us, it's a completely different thing. It's more like this. It's, it's more the free. It's a, maybe you come from a Pentecostal or a non-denominational background. So when you hear worship, you think of a very free um, thing. Uh, the fancy word for this is non-liturgical worship service. Uh, simply liturgy means order of service. So this, a liturgical service, like this one up here, would have extreme order. There's an absolute order that never changes. Whereas a non-liturgical service says, eh, whatever happens, happens, and we're cool with it. <laughs> That's just some of us, we bring different backgrounds when we talk about worship. Now, I think there's another category of people in this room, which are people who have no church background, which, let me just say, I love you people. Like, interacting with those that have no background, have no church, and you're like, man, when I think of worship, I just think of free coffee and free cookies. That's why I'm here. And there's somebody in the room right now going, wait, that stuff's free? <laughs> yeah, it's free out there after the service. Feel free to go get it yourself. But I think when we think of the word worship, when we hear the word worship, we bring different things to the table. 
We bring different ideas or different thoughts or we have different thoughts on the way it should be. And I think for what we're gonna do today is what we just need to hit a refresh button. Not a restart, not a throw it all out. I just think we need to hit a refresh button for everybody in the room and think about what is worship? What is it? What is it that we're doing honestly in this room right here, right now? So what we're gonna be doing is looking at two questions. We're gonna be looking at worshiping together. The first question is this, what is it? What is worshiping together? What is it we're doing right here, right now? And the second question is this, how do we do it? How do we do it? So we're gonna be talking about worship. Now I know when I say that and you hear me talk about this room right now, some of you might be going, wait, I thought worship was bigger than what happens in this room. It's, it's more than that. And I would say, you're absolutely correct. Gold star to you, you get the gold star of the day. It absolutely is correct. Um, we actually spent an entire series talking about that called All Out, All In. We did that about a year and a half ago. So if you're interested in knowing, man, what does it mean to live a lifestyle of worship and how our finances, our time, and our resources can really help us expose what it is that we're worshiping on a grand scale, go check out this series. We spent four weeks diving into that. But for the sake of our conversation today, we're gonna to be talking about a slice of worship, a slice of that, and that's what happens in this room right here, right now. Now here's something I want you to do real quick. So if you think about each of these patterns every single week, we tell you to go and do it. I want you to turn to your neighbor and go, guess what, you're doing it right now. Give him a high five and say, hey, you did it. <laughs> Everybody right here, right now, guess what? We're doing the pattern, we're doing it together. And someone's saying, I ain't touching that person's hand, I ain't giving them a high five. Uh, no, we're all doing it right here, right now. But I think the question is, what is it we're actually doing? What is it and how do we do it? That's what we're gonna be wrestling in today. So the first, first thing I want you to do, if you could open up your Bible or your smartphone or any way to access the word regarding Jesus, we're gonna be in John 4. John 4, so if you wanna pull it out, if you don't own a Bible, in the seat backs in front of you, you should see a black hardcover Bible. Pull that out, we're on page 742 there. Um, feel free, you can go there. Um, if you do not own a Bible, man, take that home. I know we say this every week, but we mean it. We think it's really important that everybody has the word regarding Jesus, that they own a copy of that. So take that home with you, read it. If you got questions, we'd love to talk to you. Um, but we're gonna be in verse 21. So John 4, verse 21. Um, and we're gonna be picking up in the middle of a story. So we're in this story, Jesus and his dudes, let me give you the back real quick. Jesus and his dudes, Jesus and his disciples are in the desert. And when you're in the, des the desert, what's the first thing you're looking for? Water. So Jesus is looking for water and he comes to a well where there is water and he's gonna interact with a Samaritan woman who is at this well and they have a conversation. It's just the two of them, they're talking about life. Jesus is kind of telling some truths about who she is. She's kind of responding to it and it's just a natural conversation. The topic switches. And the topic then enters into the topic of worship. And so she starts talking about what is worship and Jesus goes, okay, let me respond to you in us talking about worship. And what we're about to read is Jesus giving his insight or his thoughts about what worship is. So we're gonna pick it up in verse 21. This is Jesus responding to the woman. This is what he says. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. 
So what is Jesus saying here? Um, you ever had a conversation with somebody where they're trying to drop hints over and over and over again? Where they're dropping that same word like, hey, are you picking up on what I'm saying? <laughs> Jesus is doing that right here with the word worship. He's saying it over and over again. In this short section, short little time, he actually uses the word worship eight times. So eight different times he uses this word worship. Now, I think this isn't a bad translation, but I think this is tough because when we hear the word worship, remember earlier how I mentioned we all bring different things to the table with it? So I think when we read this or we hear Jesus talk about worship, we bring those things to table, but I think we miss what he's actually saying here about what worship is. Uh, um, in, in all eight of these instances, they come from the same Greek word. They come from the same word, and the word is this, proskenuo. Proskenuo. All eight of these come from the same word, proskenuo. And that word simply means to adore, show respect, fall or prostrate before. Um, be very careful how you say this word, by the way. If you don't know why, ask your mom later. And moms, you're welcome. Um, no, no, proskenuo, it's, it's a, it means to adore or to show respect or fall or prostrate before. And for us, we're like, okay, that seems weird. For the original hearers of this word, it actually would trigger something in their head. It would trigger the way that they would greet one another. Uh, here's what I mean. When they would hear this, they would start to think about this is actually a word. And another way to say it is this means to throw a kiss in token of respect or homage towards somebody. It's like to throw a kiss. And for us, like, what do you mean by that? Let me try to explain it this way. So in that day and age, how they greeted one another was very different than how we greet each other today. So today, if you see a friend or you see somebody, we might shake their hand. We might have some secret handshake. We might give them a hug. That's a normal greeting, a handshake, you know? For that day and age, it was different. So depending on your social status or your economic status or even like your military rank would change how you greeted people. So for example, if two generals were like to walk into this room in that day and age, they were to walk in here and there's a bunch of people around, the way they would greet each other is actually to kiss each other on the lips. To us, that sounds really weird. To them, a handshake sounds just as weird. It's just, for them, this is the way they greeted each other. And it was simply to say, when they would do that, it, wasn't some, it was just to say, hey, you and I are equals. We're the same person. We have the same level of everything, social status, economic status, everything. So what we're saying is we are equals, and that's the way they greet each other. Now, let's say a lieutenant walked in the room, and you had the general and the lieutenant. Now, I'm not military, so I'm like, this may be a huge disparity, but for the sake of what I'm talking about, I'm talking about a slight difference. So you had the general and lieutenant. You had a slight difference between them in terms of status, in terms of social status or military status. The way they would greet each other is the lieutenant would walk up and actually kiss the cheek of the general. He would kiss the cheek of the general, and what the lieutenant was saying to everyone around him is, this general has more authority than me, is, 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 has, and I am submitting to that authority and telling this general, hey, you are better, but we're not that much different. We're just slightly different. Now, to greet someone in a proskenuo way, they would, to proskenuo someone in greeting would be like a private walking into the room, seeing the general, going up to the general, and literally getting on his knees, putting his forehead to the dirt on the ground, and kissing the ground or the feet in front of the general. Basically, what the private is saying is he's telling the general, you are who you say you are, you have the authority in my life, and you are in a different class than me. So when Jesus uses the word proskenuo and he's talking about worship, he's making a huge statement on what worship is. 
Uh, when I was studying this all week, I was really struggling to come up with a definition, a very succinct way of saying worship is da 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 da. And I did a lot of studying. I read a lot of different books, a lot of different things, and everybody had slightly different definitions in how they did it. But what I noticed was a common pattern. They all had things in it that you could say worship is never less than this, or worship has this involved. And so there's four things that I think worship is never less than, and this, and the first one is this, worship is never less than this. It's never less than a reverent posture. I think in the word proskenua, there's a physical and an emotional and a spiritual thing that happens when we talk about a reverent posture to submit ourselves willingly to something. So when we talk about worshiping, it's seeing and accepting Jesus for who he is, saying he is who he says he is, giving him the authority in our lives and saying he's in a totally different class than I am. That's what worship is. It's having a reverent posture towards that. It starts with that. Worship never starts with anything less than this. Honestly, this is the reason why sometimes you'll see people raise their hands when they're singing or you'll see people literally bowing on their knees because what they're doing is they're taking a physical posture of reverence or adoration or respect or basically saying physically, God, you deserve the praise and you are who you say you are. So that's why some people do that. So that is a reverent posture. So the question comes, what do we have a reverent posture towards? Because you can have a reverent posture towards anything. What is it that we're supposed to in this room have a reverent posture towards? Well, we have a book, the book of Acts is a book that's written about the early church. It's written about the church and basically in that, what it's talking about is here's the stories of the church. And I think in Acts 2, the church kind of gives us an insight on what it is we should have a reverent posture towards. So check this out. Here it is, they, being the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I think what we can see is this, like, what is it that the early church had a reverent posture towards? What is it that they gave respect to? And I think it's this. It's to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. It's to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Now, what do we mean? So the apostles' teaching here, the apostles were Jesus' dudes. These are the guys that hung out with him, the 12 that were with him. We might have heard of this calling like Jesus' disciples. You may have heard that before. They were the 12 guys with him who spent time on his journey and they knew him. They knew his stories. They knew his teaching. They knew his heart and so when they were teaching, they were literally teaching about who Jesus was, what he said, the way to live life, the way we interact, the radicalness of who Jesus was. So they're devoting themselves to that teaching. You know what four of those apostles' names were? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You want to do something really cool? You know what the first four books of the New Testament in the Bible are? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So when we come with a reverent posture to the word regarding Jesus, we're actually having the same reverent posture that they had 2,000 years ago to the same teaching. <laughs> it's kind of cool and kind of trippy when you think about it. <laughs> we're basically saying, hey, the word regarding Jesus, we are gonna submit ourselves to that. But notice, that's not the only thing that they had a reverent posture towards. They also had a reverent posture to what? To fellowship. 
You're like, wait a second, what is, what is that? That sounds like some churchy word. Simply fellowship means to interact intentionally together. So to interact or to be in the same place with intentionality together. To have fellowship means to have actual conversations or interactions, meaningful interactions with each other. And that's what the church did. They devoted themselves to both. Um, This was really interesting. As I was reading through this after kind of picking that up, um, notice the way the church is described in this. It's never in a singular fashion. It's never I, me, my. It's never first person. It's always third person It's or plural. It's always they, them, themselves. Check this out. Look at this. They devoted themselves to teaching and to fellowship. Everyone was filled with awe. All the believers were what? Together. They sold property. They, were, they met together in the homes. They, together, there, all the people there. There was something intentional, and they knew it, about gathering together that they needed. There is something, if I'm just honest, there's something intentional about us coming together in this place as a group of people that, is, that, that in this day, like, they devoted themselves to it. It's part of the two sides to the coin. We need each other and we need to have spaces like this. Well, why? I think it's because of this, because what we're doing is the second thing of what worship is never less than. The first is a reverent posture and the second is this. It's encountering the word regarding Jesus. It's encountering the word regarding Jesus. So when we come into this place and we come together and we have a, take a reverent posture and we interact with the word the living, breathing word, the scriptures, when we interact with the things Jesus said, the truths about who he are, and we encounter them, it allows us to hear and respond to Jesus himself. It allows the truth of what Jesus said to change us, and in turn, we respond to it. So when they came together and they devoted themselves to the teaching, notice what happened to them. It comes up. They didn't just sit there and say, that's cool, and leave. It changed them. Notice, look. What had happened? After they devoted themselves to the teaching and to fellowship, what did they do? On hearing that, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, some of you are like, wait a second. You're telling me I got to leave here and sell everything? No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying when you encounter the word of God, when you encounter Jesus, you can't help but be changed. Because when we encounter the truth of who he is, man, it, it, it will mess up. It'll force us to say, do what I believe is true or do I, what, what Jesus says is true. It forces us to really think and it forces us to engage him. And if we really say he is Lord, it forces us in the encounter to be engaging in a way that, that honestly can mess with our heads, <laughs> which, let's be real, isn't always fun <laughs> and isn't always easy. And I think this is the third and the fourth thing of what worship is never less than, and it's this. Worship is never less than responding to the word, and it invokes life change. When we worship, we come with a reverent posture, and we encounter the word regarding Jesus, and then we respond to that, and it leads to life change. For them in Acts 2, they sold everything. For us, we might not be that we sell everything, but the way we look at people, the way we interact, our priorities, the things that become important to us should change because of what Jesus says. Remember earlier we talked about John 4, Jesus' interaction between Jesus and the Samaritan woman? Uh, There's something really interesting. So the rest of that story, after Jesus has this conversation about worship, the Samaritan woman basically says, and I'm paraphrasing, yeah, I know, there's this thing about worship. Someday some guy will tell me how to do it and who it is. And Jesus makes a huge statement. He says, I am the one. 
What Jesus was saying is, I am God, and I am the one who tells you when and where and how to worship. (laughs) And her response is one of absolute craziness. She interacts with Jesus and the truth of who he is, and then she responds to that truth. You know what she does? She literally leaves her water bowl at the well, which is the reason she went to the well in the first place, and she runs to town to tell everybody about it. Her life was changed by encountering and interacting with Jesus. It brought her to a full life change. And so when we're talking about worshiping together, when we're talking about it, this is what we're doing. When we're in this place, in this space, when we're coming together, I mean, we come with a reverent posture, we encounter the word regarding Jesus, and we respond to the word, and in turn, that invokes life change. Basically, another way to say it is, we're just real people encountering a real-life Jesus for real-life change. Now, I, I know not everyone in this room is a Christ follower. I know that's true. I know there are people here who are investigating and figuring it out, and if that's you, man, I am so jazzed that you are here. I know that you're here trying to figure this out and trying to, and I'm glad you're here, but, but I just gotta be honest. Unapologetically, this is what we're doing here. We're just a bunch of real people encountering a real living Jesus that will lead us to real life change. That's what we're doing. And it's honestly, that's the same thing we're doing in life groups. We're, we're coming together, we're gathering together as a group to encounter to take a reverent posture towards the word regarding Jesus, encountering his word and letting us change that, letting us change ourselves to who he wants us to be. So if this is what worshiping together is, if this is what it is, I think it leads to the question, how do we do it? How do we do it? How do we worship together? What is it that we do in this space? Well, I wanna get unbelievably, like almost stupid practical, like to the point where you're like, come on, man, that's like mind-numbingly dumb. I'm like, yes. But I think it can help us in how can we, in getting super practical and figure out how to do it. So the first one is this, man, worship with sincerity and truth. Worship with sincerity and truth. Worship with all that you are. Another way to say it, man, worship emotionally, physically, cognitively, spiritually, your whole being, all that you are, worship And this isn't something that came up, but this comes straight from scripture. In Matthew, it says this, to love the Lord your God with what? All your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. With all that we are, allowing the whole self to be transformed by encountering the word regarding Jesus. To allowing all that we do. So when we worship, when we sing, when we hear a person teach, when we hear these things, when we encounter the word, it can't help but invoke life change. Did you know that this is actually why we do teaching and music every weekend? I'm just gonna pull back the curtain and kind of give you like, this, is, this isn't something we were like, what's gonna make Medina people think we're cool? We're gonna have a, a, some really awesome music and a really, really long podcast. Like, we didn't have that conversation. We were literally saying, what is the best way that we can help us encounter the word regarding Jesus? And so we work through the scriptures, and honestly, in Colossians 3, it gives us a clear demonstration of how we can counter the word. Check this out. It says, let the message of Christ, or let the word regarding Jesus dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in our hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, 
Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Man, I think it's so crazy. When we talk about teaching, let the message of Christ dwell in you. When we're, when we're talking about scripture, when we're diving into it, when the person's up here talking about it, man, letting us dwell on it. To dwell on it means to like, let it become internalized or to chew on it over and over again, to literally suck all the nutrients out of it, <laughs> to, to let that live in us so that way it will change the way we think and what we think about. But there's a reason why teaching, we don't just come up here with a pulpit, set it on here, preach, and then leave. There's actually a reason why we do song. Look, and it says this, admonish one another with all wisdom through what? Psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude. Admonish literally means to sing to each other, <laughs> with each other. Have you ever thought about this, that, t- that music is, while it is an emotional thing and allows us to respond, it's actually one of the greatest teaching tools we can ever have? Uh, finish this for me. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. So funny, every service ends on P. It's like no one wants to keep going with the rest of it. Uh, but we honestly, the, we, music is a teaching tool. We use it. My two-year-old literally will start going A, B, C, D, X, F, Y, four, seven, three, five, 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 nine, which is not my cell phone number. But anyways, she literally will just like, she'll just, she doesn't know the letters, but she knows the tune. And what's happening? She is beginning to see the truth or she's getting exposed to the truth of the English alphabet. When we sing songs, we're not just singing them so that, that, so that we're praising God, we're also singing them to let the truths of the word that we sing dwell in us. So when we leave here with the different melodies in our head, we start to internalize. I was literally in the bathroom last service and a guy was humming a melody from a song on a radio. And as we're walking out, I'm like, dude, that's a good song. He's like, I know, right? And it was a song about Jesus. So music, when we're up here, we're not just doing music because it's a cool thing. We're not just doing it because it's the thing to do. I believe this with all I'm, I think it is one of the greatest teaching tools that we can use. So when we sing, we're doing two things. We're teaching each other, we're teaching ourselves, but we're also declaring truths. But in order for us to know what those truths are, this is where the teaching dynamic comes. We need to hear the word. And I'll just be real, like there's nothing special about us that are up here teaching it. We're just normal people, I'm just a real guy. I'm still trying to figure out how to parent my kids, how to pay my mortgage, how to live life. Like I'm a normal guy, but the reason that I'm up here is because I'm spending time so that way together we can come and encounter the word of who Jesus is. And this is what we're doing every single week so we can respond to it. And singing is a way of doing it. That's honestly why we do what we do. (laughs) So the first thing when it talks about how do we do it, worship with sincerity and truth with all that we are, I think the second practical step is this, be prepared. And this is that super dumbed down, super simplistic stuff, but just track with me, I think it'll make sense. Here's just some ways I think we can be prepared. First one is this, man, get a good night's rest. Get a good night's rest. If you're here on like us on Sunday morning and you're here, how many of you are coffee people? How many of you are coffee people before 11 (laughs) a.m.? How many of you ever for people all day? Somebody's literally just holding up their coffee cup and looking at me right now. Have you ever interacted with somebody who's not quite awake enough, who's not quite there, and you start to have a conversation with them and you realize about three quarters of the way into the sentence, whatever I say after this is not gonna land? My wife every morning looks at me and goes, go get your coffee. Like she pretty much just tells me that. I think what happens is when we get a good night's rest and we allow our mind to be engaged and we're fully awake, 
it allows us to actually worship. It allows us to not be groggy. It allows us to enter into and actually have a reverent posture. It allows us to actually encounter the word for what it is and respond to it. Another way to be prepared, um, arrive early. Man, arrive early. Um, And arrive early not simply because I gotta get my seat and no one's gonna take my seat. Um, And let's just be real, we're we're a grace, grace church, we're a culture of arriving late. It's just what we are. We actually joke that this service, but when it starts, is not the same amount of people that will be here when it ends. It fills up quick. It's just who we are, and I get that. But let me just challenge you. Here's why I think arriving early. Um, Have you ever watched a movie? You're sitting down on on a couch, and you're watching something, and you're like halfway through it, and then someone comes and sits down next to you about halfway through, and they're sitting there, and all of a sudden, you're about three minutes after they're sitting there, and they're like, who's that? I don't get it. And you're like, dude, shut up. I'm trying to figure out what's going on between Captain America and Iron Man and what's going on in this civil war. We get frustrated because why? The person hasn't been there for the whole time to really be engaged and know the whole story. So we talk about arriving early. The reason I think it's so good is because it allows us when we come, whether it's here, whether it's life group, whatever we're doing, it allows us from beginning to end to actually be engaged and be able to track the whole way through. So be prepared, arrive early. Uh, Next, man, remove distractions. Do what you can to remove distractions. So maybe this means going to the the restroom beforehand, um, going and doing that. Maybe it means eating a good meal beforehand because when you're here and you're hungry, all you can think about is lunch. And now that I've said that, all you can think about is lunch. and you get hungry, and that distraction can actually distract you from being able to hear or being focused on the things that Jesus might want to say to you, the truths that he has. I have another one. This is actually probably more for me. Um, man, put your phone on airplane mode. Put your phone on airplane mode. I know at the beginning we say, hey, pull out your Bible or your smartphone. Um, for some of us, myself included, sometimes we go, sweet, Facebook. <laughs> and we just start going. We use it as an excuse so like, hey, the pastor told me to pull out my phone so I can do what I want, you know? Uh, and I, I, I fall into that trap. So something I'm personally trying to do is actually bring a, like a physical copy of the word of God and putting my phone away because I don't want to be tempted by the distraction that could lead me away from what Jesus has to say to me. So put away distractions. Do what you can in that. Uh, and another way to be prepared, man, meditate privately during the week. Meditate privately during the week. Now, we're going to spend next week, we're going to be talking all about this. So shameless plug, come back next week. We're going to spend the whole time talking about what is this? How do we do it? What does it look like? So I encourage you, come back. We're going to dive into it. But I think that meditating privately and worshiping together go hand in hand. And we need both of them to really create a pattern that will change us. So how do we do it? Man, worship with sincerity and truth. Be prepared. And the next one is this, man, prioritize it. Prioritize worshiping together. Prioritize it. I mean, it's so easy, you know, like, ah, it's Sunday morning, I'll just listen to the podcast later. Or, you know, I'll just engage. There's some, I'll engage later. It's not a big deal. I need to sleep. Man, prioritize worshiping together. The, the early church, this was such a big deal to them. In fact, it was, there were people, like, we're not the only ones that struggle with sometimes do I go, do I not, man. The early church struggled with this, so much so that the author of Hebrews, another book, literally says, don't forsake the meeting together. He literally warns them and says, like, it is a good thing to get together. 
It is a good, and in fact, you will encourage one another just by being in the same room. Don't forsake it, prioritize it. Maybe block it out on your calendar every Saturday or Sunday or whatever services you come. And I would actually encourage the same thing for life groups. We're worshiping together in life groups just in a different way. There may not always be song, but man, we're coming with a reverent posture to encounter the word regarding Jesus and that leads to life change. Like prioritize it. And fourthly, how do we do it? Man, engage. Engage. Now, I just gotta be honest. This one is so simple, yet probably, if we're honest, the most difficult. And here's why I think it's so difficult. Um, we live and scream an entertainment culture. We love to be entertained. We love it. Um, question, any Stranger Things fans in the room? Wow, there were more hands gone up for anything else that I've asked the whole time. It's kind of cool. Um, I am a Stranger Things aficionado. If you don't know what it is, it's an amazing show on Netflix. Your life will be changed by watching it. I'm only half kidding. Um, it is an awesome, awesome show. It's a blast. The newest season just came out on July 4th. So people were going around and go, hey, happy Independence Day. I'm like, yeah, happy 4th of July. Happy Stranger Things Day. I mean, I mean that, that was me. Um, and, and four days after it came out, my wife and I were watching it. Yes, we finished it. So if you want to talk about theories later, I would love to talk theories with you. It's a blast. But, but um, we were watching about the fourth episode on Monday night, and I was being entertained. Remember, we're in an entertainment culture. I was being entertained by my TV, which wasn't enough, so I needed to be entertained by my phone. And the entertainment on my phone, Twitter, was telling me about the entertainment on my TV while I was being entertained by both. And this is what the entertainment on my phone said. It was this, Stranger Things 3 is breaking Netflix records. 40.7 million household accounts have watched the show since its July 4th global launch. This is, look at this, more than any other film or series in its first four days. Four days after it came out. And 18.2 million had finished it in four days. Now, if you don't know, Stranger Things is eight episodes long. Each episode is about an hour long. We love to be entertained. And, and check this out. This isn't even like people. This is households. My household, we had two people watch it. So double this number, and you're still probably low in number of people that watched it in its first four days. Man, we love to be entertained. Our culture screams entertainment. Do you know there's a lawsuit in L.A.? that literally a, people are suing a billboard company because the billboard company is playing movies on the billboards while people are driving by on the highway? Uh, you ever been in, the, in your car and you start driving, you turn on the radio and you get somewhere and you're like, how did I just get here? Why? Because the, the radio distracts us or entertains us away from the monotony of driving. Um, this is affecting us in ways we don't even realize. Target did a study where they actually were trying to test out how music affects people shopping. To the point where when they did the study, they now don't, when they found in their results is they don't play music in any of their shows, I mean, in any of their stores. There's no music, why? Because people, it made them a little uncomfortable and focused them and they shopped more. Like, entertainment is affecting us in ways we had no idea. Now some of you are like, when was the last time I was at Target? And is that true? It is, I actually went there the other day and it's totally true. Like, entertainment affects us in ways that we don't even realize, and it's there, whether we like it or not. And, and so here's the thing. I was listening this week to this, this woman. Her name is Deanna Dooley, and she was talking about how entertainment has affected us in ways that we don't even realize, and, and this is what she said. She said this, we live in an age of entertainment. 
Netflix, Instagram, even the news and politics. It is awash with chaos and entertainment. What is so great about entertainment is that it offers pseudo experiences from the comfort of our couch. I don't have to do anything or change anything about myself. I get to feel this excitement, this intrigue, this emotional thrill of whatever it is that is entertaining me at that moment. The downside of entertainment is that it's passive by nature. It creates an inherent passivity. It gives us something to talk about, but it cannot lead to any meaningful action. And that's why we love entertainment. We, we love to be entertained. Um, we, we are conditioned to consume and then leave with no action required. I think of it this way. Politics today have almost become another form of entertainment. We, moral times, we'll watch it, not because we're interested in what the um, topic is, but because we want to be entertained by something. To the point that the last time voting happened, there were a record number of people percentage-wise that didn't vote. We just want to be entertained by it. Uh, question, any HGTV or ESPN fans in the room? Anybody? Only a couple of us. My, I'm a, my wife and I are huge HGTV and ESPN people. Like, I'm more the ESPN person. I'll watch HGTV with her. It's great. But we'll watch HGTV for hours, and it's about these beautiful, ornate homes and all these things, and these huge homes and these tiny ones. And you're like, how did they get that in there? That's crazy. And all these things that they do, and you're like, man, this is awesome. And then we'll sit there for hours, and then we'll turn off the TV, and I'll go, when was the last time we mowed the lawn? Or I'll watch ESPN and I love watching sports and I'll see these amazing athletic feats and I'll enjoy it and it's a blast and it's really fun and I see all it and then I turn it off and go, man, the most working out I've done in the last couple months is the potato chip from here to here. We are so conditioned to be entertained that we don't know how not to be. And so when we talk about engaging in worship and engaging, I think the pitfall we can fall into is that we can view worship or what happens here as just a form of entertainment. I like that song, or I didn't like what he was saying here, or I like that. And we can miss from actually engaging ourselves and allowing ourselves to be transformed by it. So when we talk about engaging, I wanna give some practical ways that I think can help us actually engage when we worship and what we're doing here. And I think it's this, first it's cognitively and physically. Engage yourself mentally, engage yourself cognitively. Man, really be thinking through what is it that's being said. When, when, when a person's up here teaching, are we actually listening to them and trying to engage ourselves mentally with them? Are we hearing the things they said? For some of us to help ourselves cognitively, maybe we need to take notes. Bring a pen and paper and write things down and it helps. There, there, there's studies out there that talk about when you write things down, it helps you remember them kind of a no-brainer. I don't know why they did studies on it, but it's true. It's like cognitively engaging. Maybe writing on paper helps. Maybe it's other things. I think physically engaging. When we sing, sing. That's one of the coolest ways. It's not the only way of worship. When we hear the word, we are worshiping by engaging, by hearing the truth and interacting with it. But engage physically by actually allowing our lungs to fill up with air and in turns pushing out the truths that we are saying about who God is and singing together. That's why we sing. That's why we're doing it. I think another way physically, even in the teaching part, sometimes you, know, you're not, you haven't had that full night's sleep before and you're a little tired <laughs> and so it's hard to stay awake. There are ways that we can physically actually help ourselves be cognitively engaged. Um, 
when I was in high school, I remember freshman year English. Um, I don't remember much about that class, which some of you is like, I know, I've heard you talk today. Um, <laughs> freshman year English, it was first period English class. And if you're like anything like me, first period classes in high school, man, it was hard to stay awake through them. So you tend to choose the class you weren't interested in to be first period, at least that was my way. And so I was in that class, and I don't remember much about the class, but I remember there was a kid who sat next to me, and his name was James. And James sat next to me, and he was like the kid who had his head like unashamedly falling asleep in class, like head on his arm, head down, eyes closed, never snored, but you always wondered when it was gonna happen. It was that kind of a kid. And it happened almost every day. And I remember the teacher, she never got angry at him, but after a while, she came up with a saying that she started saying over and over and over again. And this is what she would say, James, James, feet flat on the floor, back straight, shoulders up, pen on paper, eyes forward. What she was saying is make your posture help you be engaged with what's going on. So maybe for some of us, when we're singing, actually standing up, raising hands. Maybe for you it's closing eyes, maybe it's keeping them open. When we're teaching, are you sitting in a posture that's helping you stay awake and stay focused on what's going on? Are you doing the things to help you engage and keep yourself out of disincluding dis yourself in it? Another way to engage, I think, is this. Um, man, I think intentionally and actively. Intentionally and actively. Worship in and of itself is an intentional thing. I'm gonna peel back the curtain. When we, when we decide what we're gonna do each week, it's not just doing, let's roll the dice, okay, these three songs, or these songs, man, or this is the sermon. With intentionality, man, we pray through and wrestle through what is the best way that we can help us engage the word regarding Jesus and engage that. But I, but I think it's not just us having intentionality. I think it, in terms of leadership, I think it's the whole, all of us coming together when we come into a service like this and with intentionality saying, I'm here because I want to learn about who Jesus is and be transformed. Being intentional about the time that we have and being intentional with it. And I think going along with that, man, worship is active. It is not passive. To sing requires an active engagement. To open up the ears and have engagement ears to listen to and encounter the word. To actively open our minds and actually be transformed by the things Jesus said. Worship is active, it is not passive. And it's so easy for me to fall into, eh, I'm just here. But being intentional, us coming together is a good thing. And I promise you, we keep coming together, it is a pattern that will change you. But I think in order to do that, it's not just doing it, it's engaging in it and being active, being cognitively and physically engaged and doing it with intentionality. So here's what we're gonna do, I'm gonna invite the band up. Um, and we're gonna enter into, in a, here in a minute or two, a musical form of worship. Um, and as they come up, so the two questions we said is, what is it? Worship is real people, engaging um, a real live Jesus, encountering him, and then responding to him, and invoking the real life change. And we've said, how do we do it? All the different things we've said, but I think it begs the last question, why do we do it? Why, why do we worship? Man, man, if you're a Christ follower in this room, <laughs> What it means to worship is to literally say to God, you are who you say you are, and you deserve the praise and the words that come out of my mouth. That you are Lord over me, so what I'm saying, what I'm listening to, you deserve that. Why? Because man, when Jesus came to this world, there was a brokenness, and there still is. We, we believe that, that sin entered in this world, and sin keeps us from having a true relationship with God. 
It holds us back, and nothing we can do can restore that relationship. There's nothing that I can do that's good enough to overcome that hurdle. And so Jesus came, and he lived the life, gave us patterns to live by, but then he died and rose again and basically made a way for us to know who he is, made a way for us to worship him at any place, any time, anywhere. And then he gave us a hope of a future. I mean, before Jesus, the only thing that we would know is death. And when it was done, it was over. But man, he showed us that when it's over, for those of us that are Christ followers, we get to spend eternity with him and we have a hope. And so when we worship, when we come together, what we're saying is, man, that hope is real and I'm not the only one who believes it. So when we sing together and we sing about truths, we're singing to one another to teach each other. But man, we're also declaring, God, you are who you say you are. We have a hope. So what we're gonna do here in a minute is we're gonna be singing some songs and we're gonna be singing the truths and the truths are this. Man, God is here and he is with us. And that he is holier, he is set apart, he is in a different class than I am and I give him authority in my life. The next song we're gonna be singing about is all about man, through all generations and all time, you are worthy of our praise and you are sitting on a throne. Lord, be enthroned. Have you ever thought about this? The only thing that we can do on both this side and that side of heaven is worship. So when we worship and we sing, we're actually doing it with people who are there already. <laughs> it's kind of a trippy, weird thing to think about, isn't it? But when we worship, we are worshiping together him. And so we're gonna be singing about, man, thousands of generations are singing his praises. Then we're gonna worship through offering. We're gonna be passing around baskets, which we believe that all of our stuff, finances come from Jesus. So giving back to him and saying, you have the authority over this, not me. And then end with a song and simply say, man, he is alive in us. Jesus is alive, we believe it, we believe it proudly, and that it's no longer I who live, but he who lives in me. So here's what we're gonna do, we're gonna finish that way. So I'm gonna ask you to stand up right now. I'm gonna pray for us here in a second, and then here's my thing, don't just sing loud and proud because you heard me say it, man, sing loud, sing to him because he deserves the praise. He's given us a hope. That's why we worship. Let's pray, Father, you are so good. Um, God, you are deserving of all the praise because of what you've done and who you are. God, I thank you that you allow us to come together wherever, whenever, and praise your name. God, help us now, even this time, to make this about you and us singing in truth the truth of who you are. It's all about you, all about who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.